This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. The Department of Health and Human Resources is now working to implement recommendations from an analysis group to improve internal communications and client outcomes. What we're doing is breaking those silos down that were built now. I'm going to have those folks report directly to the people that are really ultimately responsible in DHHR. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. All electric fleet vehicles can do more than just take power from the grid, West Virginia lawmakers were told Tuesday. Curtis Tate has more. A fleet of electric school buses, like the ones now manufactured in South Charleston, can put power back into the grid during the day. That, said Lori Murphy-Lee, manager of regulatory and legislative affairs for the PJM regional transmission operator, means they can contribute to grid stability. It's no longer a one-way street for plug-in electric vehicles. Lee, speaking to the Joint Energy Committee of the West Virginia Legislature, noted that electric vehicles draw a small amount of power from the grid currently. But widespread adoption of EVs in the coming years could change how electric utilities and transmission operators like PJM manage the grid. School districts could be winners, especially when their bus fleets are idle over the summer. That's a peak time for electricity demand. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. In West Virginia, there are nearly 50 specialized court programs designed to help teens and adults kick their drug addictions. The intensive programs divert people away from incarceration into court-monitored treatment. Success rates vary widely, and while some programs have many supporters, critics say some drug courts only work with the easiest of offenders. In a new Us and Them episode, host Trey Kay visits Judge Joanna Tabbitt's juvenile drug court in Kanawha County to learn about the court-designed approach to sobriety that began nearly 50 years ago. Earlier this fall, I sat in on juvenile drug court, and it was evident right away that this is not your average criminal proceeding. Oh, When a participant is doing well, for instance, if they pass their drug screen, they get to spin what's called a wheel of incentives. Night with friends. Oh, that's a good one. But Tabit is a judge, and there are penalties, too. Here she is talking with a young man who broke curfew last week. What what we're going to do is, uh, because that curfew situation, we're going to whack your curfew to six. From 7 to 6, okay? So you got to be home at 6 o'clock. There is no one-size-fits-all approach with these kids. Some of them relapse, and Tabit gives them another chance. Like this young man who tested positive for marijuana. Judge Tabit said she appreciated that he was honest about it. I won't take this as a bump in the road, because relapse is, is part of recovery, and you had a slip-up. But we got to get it corrected. Or that 15-year-old who's using meth, she still won't admit it. But the drug tests are clear. Nobody here wants to, wants to kick you to the curb. Everybody here wants to help you. But we can't do it if you don't help yourself and commit to it. Others break the rules, and Judge Tabit dismisses them. That's what happened to one young man when I was in drug court. He got caught smoking pot. And he had several incidents in a row that week. 
Well, what happened Friday night? Um, I snuck out. You snuck out? What, what time? Uh, like 10 to 1. 10 to 1. He also got caught with a marijuana vape pen twice, and he was hanging out with another kid who was on probation, and that's prohibited. I, I don't I don't like to to do this, but um, I just don't think that you are benefiting from what it is that we are doing um, in drug court. And I know you were told by Judge Salango that drug court was your last opportunity to get it together. But I do think that you self-sabotaged for whatever reason. I don't know why that you did. Um, but uh, we are going to dismiss you from drug court. And uh, consequentially, you have an understanding of what will happen now? What, what's going to happen? Uh, i got to go see my actual judge and she'll send me off to my placement. That, that's going to be her decision. A placement is detention in a locked facility. But if she has told you that, my guess is that's what's going to happen. And I, trust me, nobody here in this room wanted to do this today. But we do feel it's the best thing for you. In Kanawha County Juvenile Drug Court, most of the kids do not make it through successfully. The graduation rate from 2014 to 2019 was 29%. lines up pretty well with a recent study in Montana, which reported an average graduation rate of 35%. But another survey of treatment courts across the U.S. found a juvenile graduation rate of 62% in 2019. In West Virginia, the juvenile rates vary widely, from 11% to 75%. Now, Judge Tabbitt only took over in 2018 Of the kids who did make it through from 2014 to 2019, just under 23% have faced new charges since they graduated. That's according to the state's probation database. That excerpt is from the latest Us in Them episode called Court of Second Chances. You can download the entire podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, or Spotify. You can also listen online at wvpublic.org. Us and Them is supported by the Just Trust, the West Virginia Humanities Council, the CRC Foundation, the Greater Kanawha Valley Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Mostly cloudy skies. Chance of rain today in the south with highs in the 40s and 50s. A chance of rain or snow tonight, lows in the 30s and 40s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy with a chance of rain, highs in the 40s and 50s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com.
The Department of Health and Human Resources is a multi-billion dollar agency with a myriad of departments under its umbrella. There are many who think it needs reorganized. DHHR is now working to implement recommendations from the independent McChrystal Analysis Group to improve internal communications and client outcomes. Randy Yoey talked with DHHR Cabinet Secretary Bill Crouch on the progress so far. I see where you've named Jessica Hudson as the DHHR's Chief Operating Officer. She'll oversee about everything from what I read. Looks like a second-in-command, if you will. You say her position will establish a direct line of oversight and communication in helping eliminate some of the silos that have developed over the years. So, Mr. Secretary, in layman's terms, explain what the study meant by these silos and silo challenges and how Ms. Hudson's position may help improve outcomes. Well, I have meetings with the commissioners every week. I have a meeting with each of the bureaus every other week with the deputies and attorneys and, and others. So, <clears throat> excuse me, at that level, everything works well. But what they're referring to is down below that. That's not great. And that's what we're trying to fix. And the problem is, and this was several secretaries ago, I'm not going to mention the secretary's name, who I, who I was told did this, but allowed all of the bureaus to have their own HR person, their own uh, finance person, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and their own uh, support services inside the bureaus. That led to uh, these, uh, th- these uh, towers of, of folks who, uh, who didn't communicate amongst the towers. So what we're doing is breaking those silos down that were built now, and we're going to have those folks, folks report directly to the people that are really ultimately responsible in DHHR and the secretary's office for getting bills paid, for getting people hired, etc. You've said improving child welfare outcomes is DHHR's top priority. You said it again and again. How do you believe study implementations, including a designated child welfare leader, will help reach those desired outcomes? By coordinating those services underneath uh, of, of the deputy secretary and and across uh, the, w- through the uh, coordination with the other deputy secretaries. And the other deputy secretary uh, right now is Christina Mullins, who is absolutely phenomenal when it comes to mental health services and and uh, and, and and focusing on where the need is. We've never really had that focus of mental health services with children until Christina uh, went into that role. And now she can work with Cammie Chapman, who is the uh, Deputy Secretary for uh, Children and Adult Services, and they're really focused on dealing with this child welfare problem uh, directly. Explain a little more on how the integration teams focused on communications will actually help legislators understand DHHR progress and enhance the legislative ability to make better informed decisions on DHHR policy and funding. Yeah, we're looking at trying the, the issue of the liaisons and, and how we do that. We're still working through the best way to do that. I'd like to have some conversations with uh, folks at the legislature. Those, uh, I'm not sure we're gonna how that's going to work, but I, I, I want their input. I, I, I certainly respect that body. They're, they're one of the branches of government that's, that's critical to improving health care for their citizens uh, and health care for our children. So I'm very open to that. It's Again, it's, a, a, it's more confrontational. Now it's more like, you know, it's more like gotcha on DHHR. With everything we do, there's criticism instead of looking at the positives and what we're doing. The study seemed to show a need for marked improvement in upper-level managers listening to, listening to frontline DHHR workers' needs, opinions, and concerns for proper policy implementation. Why was this a problem, and what are your expectations for improvement? 
Uh, you know, we have a lot of folks out in the field. We have people throughout the state that may even feel a little dis- disconnected from, uh, from, from DHHR. And I've asked our folks, um, this was probably six months ago, everyone that supervises people is now required to go through a management training course. And we have to have better managers uh, and, and, and folks who really care about the people that work under them and make sure the message that in terms of our approach uh, gets down to them. We're requiring training for, uh, for those folks who uh, are, are public-facing or, or have, have uh, responsibilities to, to deal with the public or deal with others. And so if, if they man uh, the front desk at our local offices, then they have to take customer training service. So it's kind of the same thing. We want people who, who interface with DHHR to feel comfortable and, and to get uh, the service that they need. Your three priorities are child welfare, right. substance use disorder, and workforce. Great priorities. Can you give me some specific examples, maybe one or two more, of how you see study implementation directly benefiting the clients that DHHR serves and the frontline workers who've served those clients? Uh, we haven't talked about SUD much. We're having, we're having some success in, in SUD, but this is still a, a, a huge problem. West Virginia already uh, set, the date's already set, to meet with Homeland Security so we can work with, with Homeland Security in terms of kind of coordinating um, issues in communities where there are increases in drug use uh, to try to focus on on reducing those drugs coming in and those individuals who are found uh, and and uh, arrested that we get to the, the appropriate ones in treatment the, those who are selling and dealing they're, they're they're going to jail but those individuals users out there we need to get them into treatment and, and try to get them uh, get them back into society we're going to fix these problems we're going to have have a real impact in the next uh, year uh, or two years. That was DHHR Secretary Bill Crouch talking with Randy Yoey on the progress so far in improving communications and client outcomes agency-wide. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <music>